2: Hello, and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican's podcast. I'm Josie Long, and in this second series of Sound Unbound, I'm hearing from artists about the music that moves them. Let's meet our guest.
0: My name is Amber Anderson, and I'm an actress and a pianist.
2: Amber's a well-travelled artist. She was born in Somerset, Then her family moved to the relative seclusion of the Scottish Highlands to avoid the millennium bug. Remember that? That was the moment we worried that our tech systems might collapse. Fortunately for us all, it didn't cause a meltdown and Amber's family settled in the area. And it was during her teens that Amber first fell in love with the music that she's going to introduce us to.
0: I chose Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu because it was the last piece that I performed as I was leaving music school when I was 16. It was a real, if you'll <laughs> pardon the pun, it was a real like crescendo of my time at music school. I remember hearing it for the first time when one of the students called Quang Ho in the year above me at music school played it. And I just remember sitting there being like, wow, like I didn't know that Chopin could be that exciting. <laughs> I went to my piano teacher and said, I want to play Fantasy Impromptu. And she said, OK, I think you're ready. A movie moment, you know, where it's like the master with the student being like, yes, you're ready to play this piece. I've never worked so hard on a piece of music. You practice something so much that you can play it backwards. Someone could say, start at the top of page four and you would know exactly where that was in the piece. Like, I started it unbelievably slowly and then went up literally by each notch of the metronome until I got to, like, the performance speed and I was so proud of myself. Not only was it a piece that I always loved and wanted to play, but it kind of represented for me, in some ways, a success, which was like, this is what I always wanted to play and I've played it. It was weighted with a lot of emotion. There's a really beautiful bit in the middle, which goes into like a major key, and there's, there's like a real kind of redemptive feeling about it. And so the start and the ending is so busy and fast and complicated. For me, there's quite a lot of sort of um, angst in that in those parts of the piece and then it just breaks in the middle. It's like the kind of sun comes up. I think it encapsulates a lot of the human experience and a lot of the human feeling and and I just remember being so enraptured by it the first time I saw it played, you know. It really, like, did something in my gut and I think that's always a very good barometer of if something has moved you you know my piano teacher at music school was this incredibly eccentric intense amazing terrifying woman called Barbara Payne she was obsessed with Chopin because she was Polish and she was like if it's not Chopin and it's not Bach and it's not Mozart I'm not interested and so she was hilarious and my school was in Aberdeen in the north of Scotland Mrs. Payne would come and stand outside this very grey granite, quite run down Scottish high school in like orange fur coats with lots of chunky rings on her fingers, chain smoking cigarettes, and you would sort of walk past her on your way into the school and she'd be like, hello, darling. (laughs) And it was just like so incongruous with the sort of environment that we were in. She had very alternative ways of teaching. I mean, for instance. One of the ways that she got me to learn how to relax my wrists was that she would bring in handbags filled with tubs of Vaseline and she would put a handbag on each wrist and that would be her way of being like, you have to relax your wrists and keep your wrists low. When I told her I wasn't going to be a pianist, she actually cried. <laughs> I wrote her this letter, and I just don't know if she ever got it. So yeah, Mrs Payne, if you're out there and you hear this, please write me back. <laughs> it's been 12 years, but I'm still waiting. Mrs Payne did did talk a bit about Chopin, but it was much more about putting our own experiences into the music and she would kind of talk to us about how she thought it should be interpreted and, you know, maybe what she thought he was trying to say with a certain piece. But being really honest, I don't actually know a huge amount about his life other than that I know that he left
2: Poland. Just like Mrs. Payne, the composer of fantasy impromptu, Frederic Chopin, was also Polish and he travelled to Western Europe to work. His conductor Ben Jernan, Ben's our music expert here on Sound Unbound. And here's what you need to know about Chopin.
1: Chopin is a romantic Polish composer. He was a child prodigy and started giving concerts at the age of seven. But something that's really interesting about his personality is he actually grew to not like performing in public. And he developed a really strong teaching practice when he moved to Paris, a place where he spent most of his life. He never wrote any symphonies, but he's most well known for all of the pieces he wrote for piano. Chopin loved Bach. He really admired the way he wrote with such mathematical precision. And I think that's really apparent in the way he wrote for piano. But he also was extremely interested in the connection between two notes, this idea of legato, the smoothness between notes, and cantabile, a singing style. So you get this music that's very florid, it's very rhythmical, but also very beautiful. So, on the one hand, he encouraged his students to make everything technically brilliant but then with a hint of cantabile and legato, making everything smooth and making the melodies really sing.
0: I think for me Chopin's music was always about lullabies, really. I remember my first kind of impression of his music being very romantic, very emotional, very sentimental even. It could almost be a sort of black-and-white movie soundtrack from the 40s or something.
1: A lot of Chopin's music can be heard on some of our favourite romantic playlists. And why? The answer to that is it's simply some of the world's most beautiful music. It's effortless, it glides, but it's also tempestuous. There's plenty of pushing and pulling, which creates this romantic drama.
0: And then as I discovered how actually violent his music can be and emotionally powerful in many ways and not just in a kind of romantic sense and that really kind of surprised me and I suppose excited me when I discovered that
1: The dramatic character of Chopin's music reveals much about his personality. He had a nine-year tempestuous love affair with Georges Sand, who affectionately referred to him as my little grasshopper. He adored the countryside, but he also was a bit of a hypochondriac. And curiously, one of his dying wishes was for his heart to be cut out. He had a fear of being buried alive. Honoured by his sister, who carried his heart back in a jar of cognac hidden underneath her coat. It still remains in Warsaw today, and it was secretly investigated a few years ago. Apparently, it's still in very good condition. But Chopin was buried without his heart.
2: I really like somebody being so prolific and notable in life, but also providing a really good story in death. So, what do you do when you've reached the peak of your musical crescendo? After she'd mastered Chopin's fantasy impromptu, Amber had a difficult decision to make about her future as a musician.
0: The life of a pianist is quite a lonely life in the sense that you're just on your own, really, for six hours a day. And one of the things I loved about music school, really, was actually playing in orchestras. And so I kind of knew that I wanted to go away and do something that involved being around people. And so I made the difficult decision to leave music school and go and study drama.
2: Amber's years of studying piano with Mrs Payne means she views certain roles with a more critical eye. Being able to
0: play piano in a film is like a really incredible asset because one of my pet peeves which is, I realise, very niche and probably won't (laughs) really be that relatable as seeing piano played badly in films, which happens so much. I always kept playing because I always knew that I would want to play piano in a film and then I was cast in the 2020 adaptation of Emma and I was asked to play Jane Fairfax, who is this pretty silent character other than that she plays a lot of piano. Autumn de Wilde, the director, really wanted everything to be done completely authentically. She wanted us to play period instruments and she wanted us to research the period and find pieces that might not have really been played in a period drama before, but that did fit with the time. It was kind of a terrifying and unbelievably exciting opportunity we spent three months before we started filming figuring out which pieces would work with the scenes and then we got to the rehearsal week and they said so here's your instrument and obviously I'd spent three months going to practice studios and playing on like a beautiful grand piano and then we got to the rehearsal room and it was like this 1814 broadwood forte piano which I had never played before I think the film had sort of gone, well, she's a pianist, so, you know, it'll be the same. She'll be able to figure it out. And it's like completely a different instrument in the sense that like the keyboard is smaller the keys are smaller it sounds different it plays differently your your phrasing has to be completely different there's only one pedal everything that could have been different (laughs) on a keyboard instrument was different and I had basically a week to try and get to know that instrument and effectively kind of relearn those pieces for the forte piano, which I think I kind of managed to do a real bonus was that on my last day of shooting, I was walking along with the producer Joe, and we were talking about rap gifts—things that she was going to give actors when they finish their jobs—and and she said, "You should have the forte piano because otherwise, it's just going to end up in some kind of warehouse, not being played. And these instruments need to be played; otherwise, they they're wasted. <laughs> and so, I now have the forte piano from Emma, which I think is a it's a fitting gift after the months and months and months of work that I did, but it's an amazing thing to have and when the lid's closed it just looks like a table and so I'm I'm actually about to put like a sign on it <laughs> because every time anyone comes over to my house, someone just like puts a drink on it or puts their bag on it and I have to be that annoying person being like, I'm so sorry, this is my antique forte piano. Can you can you please not put your stuff on it? If I was going to prescribe fantasy impromptu to somebody, I think the mood would be that everything was wrong, that they didn't know what to do, that everything felt hopeless. There's something about that piece that's quite cathartic to play because it does carry so many different emotions. And so it feels like a therapy session in a way. You know, once you've got through to the end, you've been through this angst and this indecision into this beautiful middle section, which is like this kind of feeling of total harmony and peace. And so I think I would prescribe it to somebody who was in that space of feeling like everything's wrong and it's never going to be right again.
2: Thanks to Amber Anderson for her classical music pharmacy prescription. You heard Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu in C-sharp minor, performed by Louis Lorty. And that's included here, courtesy of Chandos Music. Thanks for listening to Sound Unbound, part of the Nothing Concrete podcast from The Barbican. To listen to the rest of the series, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Sound Unbound is produced by Alexandra Quinn for Loftus Media. The executive producer is Freya Hellier.